Stardate 47566.7. Welcome back to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen is... Mariah Gossett. Clyde Haynes. And Grant Davis booked a solo trip to Riza this week for a little uh, a little solo Jamaharan, if you know what I mean. So he'll return yeah, next week. <laughs> for one. Grant will be back next week. But this week, we are live streaming the pod on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, covering the second episode of Star Trek Lower Decks called Envoys. And if you watched us last week, you know most of us were digging Lower Decks, uh, the first Star Trek animated series since the uh, 70s, right, Mara? 70s? Mm-hmm. I know Clyde, while Clyde liked it, you're maybe kind of acting like a slightly grumpier old Star Trek fan than the rest of us, but that's okay. That's okay. Hey, I laughed more this week. I will say that. All right. We'll jump into what Clyde and the rest of us thought about the episode, uh, episode two of Lower Decks, in just a sec. Now, I think Mariah has something very pressing to tell us, right, Mariah? It is very, 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 very important news. You need to subscribe to this podcast. If you have not done so already, you can do that on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. All of the links for where you can find this show for your listening or viewing pleasure is available at StarTrekPod.co. Nice. Um, And while you're subscribing, if you love this pod, but think, hey, you know what? I want just a little bit more. And I wonder what the, the crew of the Discovery Pod is up to throughout the week, then you should check out our Patreon site. Yes, so on our Patreon, you can come and see extra footage. We do a a podcast, that's where you can find all the old treks like uh, TOS and TNG and DS9 and Voyager. Um, And who knows, maybe one day even Enterprise, probably not gonna happen, but (laughs) Um, it's also where we're doing the Kelvin movie pods. So if you want to be a part of our Patreon to get all of that extra content, you should check it out. And if for $2 an episode, that's $2 an episode, you get to be a part of our Slack channel where we get to, you get to talk to, hang out, um, and learn about all the stuff that's going on with us throughout the week. Um, there's a lot of, there's a rowdy bunch a rowdy bunch <laughs> that hangs out in the Slack channel. So um, check out our Patreon. Uh, Mike, you want to hit them with the Patreon? Yeah, patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. And just a reminder to listeners listening to the audio version of the pod today, you can catch our live stream every Thursday at 9 p.m. Central. Just go to StarTrekPod.co, click on that YouTube link, and we'll be live 9 p.m. Thursday. And if you're watching us live tonight, Thank you, and please do participate in the live chat. If you have a comment or question you want us to address later during the pod, a little later if we have time, we will get to those comments. Just type the word POD in all caps, capital P-O-D, before your comment helps us uh, see it so we can talk about it later. Okay, let's talk Lower Decks. Episode 2 is titled Envoys, written by Chris Kula, directed by Kim Arndt. this is the one where Mariner and Boimler escort a Klingon diplomat to a wacky, wacky planet, and things quickly go sideways. And on the Cerritos, 
Rutherford has a bit of an identity crisis spurred by an invitation from Tendi. Also, we officially say goodbye for now to the Vulcan hello and welcome into our unofficial Star Trek sexicon. <laughs> the Jamaharon. So smexy. Very. And if you're new here, you're probably familiar with other podcasts giving their hot takes on things. But since this is a Star Trek podcast, we don't give you hot takes. No, we don't. We nope. give you hot freaks. Hot freaks. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> See, that's when I miss Grant. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. The rest you of know. the pod, I'm good. But right there is when I miss Grant. All right. Who's got a hot freak on episode two of Lower Decks? Um, I can go first. I really enjoyed uh, this episode a lot. I think it is, I mean, for me, my number one thing that I love the most is we are on an alien planet again. We're having a lot of fun using animation to get to see a bunch of different, um, you know, species and alien races and other humanoids that we haven't gotten to see a lot in the Star Trek universe, which is something I love. Um, I also like that this was sort of them guiding you through all of these fun different references to cultures we've seen in the past, right? So we start out in the Klingon district. We get to see um, uh, just like so many different variances of people and cultures. And it reminds me of any time you actually go to a big, large city, right? So and in this idealized Federation world, I think it made sense to me that there would be these planets now that have districts that cater to all of these different um, people that are coming in and out, especially if it is a place where there is, um, you know, diplomats and, and things like that going on. If you think about places like Washington, D.C. or New York or San Francisco, any of those other big port political places, um, you get these incredible different districts that cater to the many populations that call that place home. Um, so I loved it. I thought it was super fun. I thought the A plot and the B plot were super exciting. I think Rutherford's little jaunt into all of the different departments. It was like we got a guided tour through the many faces mm -hmm. of Star Trek, right? We got to see all of the departments. We got to see all of the many types of aliens we've seen before in the past and some new ones. Um, so I think it was a really smart episode too, um, especially for people who maybe had never seen Star Trek before. Yeah, that's, that's true. Clyde, um, you said you'd laugh more this week. Yeah, you know, I think... What I noticed about the episode this week was we really got a chance to just laugh. It was kind of making fun of itself. Again, not in a uh, kind of a harsh way, but just as a, in a, hey, look, I know some of the stuff that I do is silly. And it's fun to laugh with that, right? And so stuff like, you know, why does every Klingon name have an apostrophe? That's that was funny to me. Like I, <laughs> I, I thought that was uh that was great. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see a couple things established, right? So one, Mariner to me is clearly the star. It, it's it it seemed early on that it might be Boimler, but it really is Mariner. And every time she says almost anything, I'm riveted. And then we're seeing her leadership ability. She does have this certain kind of Kirkness to her, especially kind of Kelvin Kirk, where she is the most reckless, dangerous person around, 
but man, does she know what she's doing. And I mean, from the minute that she started yelling blast shields and singing blast shields, like I was, I just, I, again, I thought that was funny. And I keep, I've seen it twice. I saw it on the preview and I'm going to be honest. I laugh every time. Um, And Mariah, to your point, you've got an A plot and a B plot. I was actually more interested in the B plot with Rutherford and kind of the journey through the the ship. And for me, it concluded the way I was hoping that he would be back to where his home was. And as someone who speaks to a lot of people about careers, um, we got to see someone who actually is on a starship who's struggling with, well, maybe I should change careers. And we got to see that experience. So I, I really did enjoy this one. Um, I'm still not quite sure where I put it in the pantheon of Star Trek shows, but I enjoyed I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. Right on. Yeah, you and I kind of take it from the same perspective. We watch We watch character, right? I agree with everything Mariah said about how smart this episode was in terms of slightly introducing you to the world or the the universe or multiverse of Star Trek, because we got so many representations of alien races in this episode. And some of them were actually new to me and maybe new to a lot of other Star Trek fans. And I think one of Mike McMahon's uh, credos in making the show was, I'm going to, uh, this show is going to be inhabited by not just the Star Trek aliens you know and love, but also the ones that have been on the fringes and maybe some that have only been in the novels or in the animated series that some people who only watch the movies and the show or the live action shows have not seen. So we're definitely seeing that and it's pretty exciting. And, you know, overall, I had a great time with this episode. The jokes and the references were flying so fast that I'm going to need to watch it three more times just to fully appreciate it. And I just watched it a few hours ago. I had a busy day. So I only, I've only seen it once. But I agree with Clyde. Mariner is the, MB, is the MVP again this week. She, she referred to herself as a super cool person in this ep. And it's just so true. She's Peter Venkman. She's Han Solo. She's bursting with idiosyncrasies. But she's just so brilliant and snarky. But she's, all, she's also willing to take an L to cheer up her fellow crewmen so she does have a heart. Like, I love her. Like, and she's Kirk, right? But cooler. I'm not so much loving Boimler. And I get that he's the foil and we're seeing an, an arc with his character and I'm willing to ride along to see where it goes. But in this episode, he was maybe written like too much as a foil for Mariner. Like, I found him really quickly getting really grating and incompetent and I stopped caring about him. This is a problem. I stopped caring about him way before Mariner comes around and decides that she's going to do this nice thing for him to build him back up. So that, that worked more for me as a character beat for Mariner than a salvation of Boimler. So maybe that didn't work. Um, and the subplot with Rutherford and Tendi was, was really funny but again, it was it was cute and twee and sweet like last week and full of some great jokes and references. I, I wasn't blown away by this episode, but I had a very pleasant time with this one. And I think when I watch it again, what is really going to stick out to me in a positive way are it's just the, the, the mass of like jokes per minute. And 
just how smartly this show is conveying the world of Star Trek to the new uh, the new watcher, right? I think they're doing a great job with that. Yeah, I have to wonder, like, I know it's a very, like, fan-filled writer's room, but then also just, like, such a comedic-heavy writer's room as well for this show. It's like I can, um, not in a bad way, but I can, like, feel the amount of work that has gone into these episodes because not only are they funny, but they are so layered with Trek um, references and just, like, small little quips that you know because of how much of a fan Mike McCann is like they they thought about all of those references they were going to make like to make sure they were staying within canon because they know they don't want to they don't want to piss off the fandom you know they want them to like this show they do and they don't right I mean you know what I mean but it's like poke them a little bit but don't make them angry right like they want to respect what is already there but they want to have fun and bend the rules but they don't want to break the rules right right and so it's like all those small notes about like oh we have a treaty with these people you can't punch him and like oh we you know because i'm a federation officer stop punching that old man you know like (laughs) all of these little things where he cites different rules i think add to that character of him being such a bookish person. Mm-hmm. And I think will hopefully help him build a better personality than just being a little bit of an annoying foil to, to Mariner. But I like the two of them going back and forth. How are you feeling about Boimler, Clyde? Did he, did he grade on you as much as he did me? He, he, he did a little bit. Like I can, I can handle a little, a little bit of it, but it's, I, I don't, I don't like the annoying kind of rule follower scared all the time, right? Like, as much as I love Stargate Atlantis, the Rodney character drives me nuts, right? I'm oh, like, that's I weird, because can... he's my favorite. <laughs> I, I mean... I don't see just... him as a Boimler, though, because Rodney... No, it, yeah. But I hear what different. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of like, all right, we, we've got this one note, and we're going to hit that note constantly. Um, Rodney's different because Rodney's also super competent. We have not seen that from Boimler yet. And so to me, I'm looking and going, well, what's the payoff? Because right now, he kind of seems like the guy that is the least competent, but might end up as the kind of the captain someday. He's the rule follower, but we haven't really seen the value he brings. And so I'm kind of like, eh. I'm more interested in all the other characters um, than I am Boimler right now. So, I mean, yeah. Just wait till season nine when Boimler turns into Picard. (laughs) And we all sit back and be like, ah, the journey was worth it. Well, here's the real question, though, right? Like, right now, most of the interactions that we're getting with Boimler are really buoyed up by Mariner, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You remove her from the equation, and if we got a Boimler-centric scene, I think it would be a little hard to watch. Like, if it was just him on his own. But you can put Mariner in any scene without any of the other characters, and she's interesting. And I'd say the same about Rutherford, at least in this one. I was kind of like, okay, what's going to happen next, and what's going on? Um, yeah. And so that's my issue with Boimler right now, is he's just not his own character yet. So... There were other things to say other than ragging on Boimler. One of the one of the funniest things in this episode was how everyone 
on the Cerritos crew kept supporting Rutherford every time he announced a new career change. And every time he quits a career track, it seems like his commanding officer is going to get like take it personally and get upset. And then like almost pathologically, they all support and cheer him on to the extreme. That was funny, like on the surface, but it's even like, if you don't know anything about Star Trek, that's funny, but it's even funnier when you're a Star Trek fan, because it, it plays like a wink to the supposed no conflict rule mm-hmm. that Gene, Gene Roddenberry apparently had on the Enterprise from uh, TNG. Or like how Starfleet and the Federation is supposed to be this utopian, ideal place full of super kind, understanding, supportive, community first people. Like, like no one is going to get upset if you keep changing careers like a crazy person. It's all good, bro. We're all here to support you. We're the Federation. So I think that's a good way to – that was a great – like, Mariah, you mentioned, like, the, it's great that these jokes are layered. Like, that was a good way to construct a running Star Trek gag because it's great on the face of it, but it's even funnier if you get the reference. Yeah, and it's like there's been so many characters we've seen throughout Trek who have totally switched departments and yeah. it's never really talked about. Nope. Um, you know, I think even the very f- the the remake of the pilot, I think Sulu wasn't even on the bridge. And then he eventually becomes the you know, the main pilot on the bridge and then um Jordy, right? Oh, Jordy and then I, from Deep Space 9, he would like who was on um Comini, Chief O'Brien. Yeah, Chief O'Brien. Oh also. yeah, Chief O'Brien was mm-hmm. in TNG. He was the guy who pushed the button on the transporter, mm-hmm. and then all well, of a sudden, he's a chief of engineering on this giant space station next to the wormhole that leads you to the Delta Quadrant. Like what? And, and before that, he was a helmsman, Gamma Quadrant, right? Like he flew the ship, and then he, be- yeah, he became a transporter technician, and then became like head of ops. Um, and I was reading something because I, I was like, you know, I want to know more about this whole um, kind of phenomena. And I was reading that the idea that someone like Jordy would move from kind of, again, being at the con to looking up and then being chief engineer. Um, I, I, someone said it would kind of be like, you know, Sulu filling in for Scotty. And then I remembered the Kelvin Universe episode like movies that we just watched where you had Chekhov who at one moment is running the the con and the next minute he's thrown into engineering and it looks like that is the most ridiculous idea ever there's gotta be a an assistant engineer that would be a better choice and yet we see that for the most part he almost blew up the ship so (laughs) but he worked really cool goggles the whole time so this to me was was kind of interesting. It was like an interesting callback when I when you kind of look at this and and I thought they did a really good job of showing that like yeah he had skills, but in like I loved him being in kind of the the med bay where it was like wow you've got some transferable skills, but then again it, it just wouldn't work. You'd be a disaster in here. That was probably my favorite kind of iteration of yeah. of his his looking around. That's a good point. And I'm going to pepper in some of the comments during this conversation. Um, Chupi says, I thought the real message emerging in this episode is, quote, everyone is valuable in their own way. 
Except Boimler. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just joke. We're going to I think we're going to eventually see his redemption episode because mm-hmm. I thought we might see it at the end of this one. But I actually like that they gave him a false sense of security at the end of the ep. Um, yeah. But I have a feeling it's coming. Yeah. And uh, that false sense of security, like I think what Chupi I'm interpreting what Chupi is saying uh, in terms of Boimler is Mariner thought that, mm-hmm. you know, he was going to leave Starfleet, but she she was right. She's been around. She knows stuff. She was right when she said Starfleet needs people like you because you, you're you the guy who's going to study and know everything. And that's going to come into play in the pinch one of these days. And also, people like you are the backbone of Starfleet and the Federation. So, yeah, we need you around. And she recognized that. And so she did what she did at the end to keep him on track. And she found value in him. We're talking yeah. a lot about, like, careers, like... Like uh, like Rutherford's career hopping. Um, I I like that this show is all about the ensigns starting out their careers, and they each have their different career ambitions. But they each express those ambitions in different ways. Like Boimler is just a stickler, and he's he's going to be captain, but he's really like um, he has his anxiety about everything because he's never really been in the field. Um, but he's still um, he still has his target. Uh, on the command, uh, being in, being a commander. Um, and then we have Tendi, who's just so enthusiastic about everything and seems to have this organic love for any type of adventure that that's what fuels her. And of course, you have Rutherford, who is just born to be an engineer and, and play with this technology that is on a, star sh- a starship, that one day he's probably going to build the next great starship. So we have all these different things that are driving these people. And, and it's really great. Like I said last week, it's really, um, uh, it's aspirational. Um, but it, this is most like the career thing and the way they, they look at it differently on this show. It's most apparent with Boimler and Mar- Mariner. Like Boimler is obsessed with ending up on the bridge, being a commander, doing everything by the book, rising up, you know, just climbing that ladder. He might not have the chops to do it right now, but he's, he's obsessed with it. And his obsession with climbing that ladder, in this episode anyway, in the first episode, kind of makes him like a one-note drag. But Mariner gets it. She's like, this is Star Trek. We're in the Federation. There's no money. Career status doesn't really mean shit. Uh, I'll stay in Ensign for as long as I want because I can have fun. I can goof off. I can still explore strange new worlds. Like, it feels like she, what's that? We get four four weeks shore leave. Four weeks shore leave. Like, I'm in the sweet spot, baby. Mm -hmm. I don't get four weeks shore leave. I'm just saying. Yeah. I I like the dichotomy between these two characters. Like, uh, what's, I think that's what Star Trek and Starfleet is all about. Like, you, different people have different perspectives have different perspectives of what it can offer and how you can take advantage of it. Like Boimler's like, this is going to shape me and mold me and I can rise to the top. And, and Mariner's like, I'm already shaped and molded. I'm good. I'm just going to lay here in this sweet spot for a while. But I think some of that comes from the fact that you're, we're looking at Mariner who's both of her parents are senior officers in Starfleet. Right. So, 
you know, you're almost in a sense. I mean, I hate to bring him up, but she's Wesley Crusher in a sense, right? Like she's she's seen it. She's been there. There's a good chance that she probably grew up on a starship. Like she's been through a lot of stuff. So okay, at this point, that's what you mean. I was gonna say she's cool, though. No, yeah, no. <laughs> I just I just mean she's she's seen a lot of this stuff where somebody who came straight, who's first generation Starfleet straight out of the academy all they know is the rule book right and it looks like mariner is somebody who's by the you know at the same stage of her career she's seen a lot and and kind of knows all right here's when you need to bend the rules a little bit versus follow the the rule book to the letter of the law um and i think that's what we're seeing in kind of the way her character is being developed Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of almost any job I've ever had. And even like in higher education, you know, like I could definitely tell like when I was in my master's program, like the kids who went straight from undergrad to grad versus the people who took time to like go into the workforce and figure out what real life was like. (laughs) And then like doing group assignments, you're like, oh, okay, you've only been in school. You don't know what it's like out there yet, you know, (laughs) and then. That is um, not going to work in the real world. No. And but, then, but the book says, nope, it's right. not going to work, though. Nope. <laughs> and, uh, and the same thing. Like, you can always tell when it's someone's very first job. Like, uh, you know, I probably started working when I was 16. And so in a, in a similar way, Mariner has been on a working starship, I would assume, since childhood, like you were saying, Clyde. And so her life experiences of what sort of life is out in the galaxy is going to be so much different from Boimler who went from, you know, home to the Academy to a, to a starship. Yeah. Um, and so having the, I loved the line too, when she was like, Oh yeah, we did some gray, st- gray op stuff back in the day. And he's like, <laughs> back in the day, we're the same age. And so, you know, she was that like 16 year old kid who was like sneaking off whenever they docked anywhere to go get into some trouble. And also um, this is Star Trek. So it's not black ops. It's gray ops. Gray ops. Gray ops. Yes. Mm-hmm. Off white ops. <laughs> Taupe ops. There you go. I like what ops. I like what JC says in the chat. We need a Commander Mariner shout out mm. in the Picard show. That'd be great. Yes, we do because this is definitely the breakout character. Of I Star Trek twenty twenty to see them like on like a view screen and it's actually like. Tawny, like on the screen instead of obviously instead of the oh, animated version, wouldn't yeah. that be so cool? Yeah, or they call her up on the pad or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's Tawny Newsom. Oh, that would be great. I would take it even if they brought Tawny Newsom on as a different named character. <laughs> you just want like, to see even, Tawny Newsom. Well, I mean, I want it. I want her to move and act like Mariner. Right. But even if they decide not to make it specifically Mariner, uh, maybe from an age thing or whatever. Oh, right. Should be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would I would dig that. Yeah. So I like the twist in this episode, if you could call it a twist. I, I thought I knew where the Boimler Mariner storyline was going. That I thought she was like he was doing everything wrong and she's saving the day with her street smarts or her space smarts, whatever you want to call it. But I thought that she was going to eventually get them into a really sticky situation that she couldn't get them out of. And Boimler would use his book smarts and stickler personality to get them out of it. But, like, I didn't expect the show to take sides and basically say, 
Nah, Boimler's got a lot of growing up to do, and he's getting it all wrong. We side with Mariner. You side with Mariner. She knows what's up. That was a twist for me. That through the whole thing, the perspective was Mariner's right. Did you guys think that was going to happen, or did you think we we're going to get like a more traditional, like, oh, they're both right in their own way kind of uh, story? I don't know. I thought it could kind of go either way. And as soon as the little Ferengi showed up and she's like playing dumb that it's not a Ferengi and she tried to say it, I looked it up, but like the, uh, the alien uh, Bolivin or something, Bo- Bolivin or something. Like yeah. That. Which are like blue or gray in skin tone. So oh, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bolians, so I was like, Bolians. Bolians, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And at that so, point I knew she was, she was letting him have the, have the win yeah. for sure. Yeah. Have the moment. But, um, but yeah, I figured there'd be like that moment and I wasn't sure like which way they were going to play it. I actually kind of just liked that we got to see this full journey for Mariner and just see exactly how smart she is. Um, in the same way, I'm sure we're going to eventually get the redemption for Boimler. We're probably also going to see a point where she does get like captured or something bad happens. And I'm hoping it's more of like a team up situation where we need like all three of our other main cast members to come and rescue her, you know, um, would be like my ideal. Cause as, as we know, much like Clyde, I love a good team up. So. (laughs) Yeah. I gotta agree with you a bit, Mariah. Um, I love what they did with Mariner and it, at the end of the episode, I was kind of, at that point I knew I'm all in on Mariner, right? Like, that's that's your leader she's the one like this is she's the boss before that i was mike to your point i did think this was going to go traditional where she gets him into trouble they're going like she gets them 90 percent of the way before getting them into a sticky situation that then only the rule book is going to get you out of Mm -hmm. um that's what I was going to thought. Right. But I was really happy that they didn't go that way. Yeah. Um, the only downside is it is now propped M- Mariner up to me as the star. Oh, yeah. Right? Hands down. There's, there's, it's not an ensemble anymore. This is the Mariner show. Um, that's the only thing. Until, you know, they flip it and everybody gets a little taste of that, 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 that throne. So we'll see. Uh, Sardonyx in the chat says, the thing is, Mariner would actually be a great commander in terms of people development. I agree with that, unless you are a kind of non-corporeal beam of light that happens <laughs> upon the ship, because oh, she yeah, will that fuck you up. open. <laughs> I love it. I watched it three times. I think we're going to see that little that little speck come back, though, because mm-hmm. it never fully left. Um, yeah. But I thought that was like a very funny, funny scene. That was really funny. And I I don't want to be one of these people, but but like the old Star Trek head that I can be was like, what she's doing to this entity does not uh, does not line up with the way a Starfleet officer would act, <laughs> you know, but it was. Right really funny and it's fine well i think in hindsight right if you think about all the times especially on tng and even tos that they would encounter some being that was that wasn't like misunderstood that wasn't you know confused but was actually you know just terrible right it was gonna go bad 
they always spent way too much time trying to negotiate and, and diplomatic then only to now trying to get rid of this entity. I think what we got was this tongue-in-cheek rewriting of history is, oh, no, 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 we've been down this road before. If mm. I had a do-over, yeah. here's here's what I would do, yeah. and then throw some comedy on yeah, it. Yeah, she's like, like so I, I saw that yeah. episode of TNG. Shit did not go well. <laughs> and uh, Paul Gregory says it was self-defense. Yes. I agree with you. I agree with you. It was like weird to just watch it poop out a tricorder though, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, and that was a cool looking tricorder. Like, yeah. like our buddy I Nathan want a Bliss. Purple tricorder. Yeah, like our buddy Nate Bliss in the chat. He says, I hope the purple striped tricorder makes a reappearance. Yes, because they it needs to be in the show so much that they make a toy out of it. Yes. So please. I can buy it and put it on my shelf. Yeah. I'm with Nate on that one. Make it happen. I'm into it. Um, I did see Phil R. commented, we're 30 minutes in and Mariah hasn't mentioned the Janeway protocol yet. I think I've figured out <laughs> the Janeway protocol um, if okay. we're going to get into some of the um, the re- many, many layered references in this show. But what I think it is, is during, um, there is the episode where there's that crazy, like, CGI'd alien that can kill the Borgs. From uh from Voyager, do you remember this? We watched. It, oh, Mike. species eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny. Yes. And so they needed to <laughs> they needed to close that portal to stop them from coming back in, right? Um, and so what they did was they it was a temporal riff, um, and they used a chrono deflector which produced a tachyon pulse, which they directed at the Delta Quadrant, um. And uh, and it closed it. They've also, I mean, temporal rifts happen a lot in uh, in Voyager. It's also how they got to where they are in the first place, like stuck in the Delta Quadrant. So, um, so anyway, yeah, <laughs> I think it has to do with the Chrono Deflector Tachyon Pulse. Would be my guess. Right on. Uh, <laughs> P.W. Gregory uh, does not agree. He says the Janeway Protocol is trapping your crew seventy light years from home. <laughs> Word. And, yeah. and picking up a Borg along the way. Yeah. I mean, you got to have if that for you to be Jane. Oh my gosh, this Smorgas Borg. That was. Dude, uh, okay. Chef's kiss. Like, let's, so let's good. Talk about, like, let's talk about funniest scenes. I know this whole thing is hilarious, but for me, the funniest scene was was Rutherford using the Janeway protocol in the command simulation where he uh, ejects all the children of the ship <laughs> because there's so many fucking children on these starships for some reason there's families <laughs> the kindergarten schools <laughs> colleges yeah they didn't yeah. and yeah that was great I, I i love rutherford um interacting with the uh uh with with all the command crew well it was the uh the bajoran security officer and then uh and then the number number one right i don't remember all their names but the simulation stuff was really, really funny. That was my favorite scene. Uh, a, a close second was also a Rutherford scene um, in which he uh, he realizes that his implant can uh, turn him into a, a Borg Terminator. Mm-hmm. I, I love the smorgasbord uh, scene, and I agree that's a great name for a training program. Um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I also love the, when we go back to the cold open and the, I guess the entity 
is tiny and then kind of goes into Captain Freeman's like uniform. I love that on a number of reasons. One, the fact that she's trying to come up with a catchphrase, which I think is one of the hardest things to do in the Trek universe, <laughs> right? Like warp it up. Yeah, yes, it's warp time. Um, like what you've got once you move away from engage, everything else just doesn't really work. Dude, so. hit it is the best. <laughs> Pike so, saying hit it works. I know I, you don't like, like it. No, no, no. I feel like it works when he says it. I just don't know if it works when I say it. Oh. So, <laughs> I think you say when I say it, because I know it doesn't work yeah. when I say it. So I like that. And then I also thought that the whole idea of, of that tiny dot spore-like creature moving into the uniform kind of took me back to Discovery and the spore landing on Tilly and then coming back later on. So I'm like, oh, are we going to get this as a as a throwback kind of much later on or just next week. Yeah. So I, kinda, I, 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 I love, dug that. I love that these are standalone episodes, but they are seeding things like that, that it feels like we'll definitely see crop up later um, in a longer thread. Yeah. And it was like shouting at her as it was, it was like, stop you being, I shall murder you. <laughs> and then the like little puff, it was, it was yeah. good sound design. <laughs> Did you have a favorite funny scene or funniest scene, Mariah? Um, I really like when Mariner gets on top of the bar and it's just like, hey, you aliens, instead of fighting, the next five rounds is on me. And I was like, I mean, it's an accurate way to stop a bar fight. Like, <laughs> It's just to be like, hey, everyone, we got to chill. Um, and then I also loved uh, when Boimler was getting romanced by oh yeah the yeah. crazy snake lady who I can't remember what her I I want to say that was a new alien right I think it was as well because I think I tried looking it up and mm -hmm. I I couldn't find very like, much in terms I mean, of like TV and movie canon I think it yeah. was a new alien I mean depends on the movie because it looked a lot like Jurassic Park to me I mean that too. Little... clever girl. Um, but yeah, I loved that whole sequence of him just being like, oh no, this is bad. And then like, you could almost see, like, hear him hearing Mariner being like, you just got to loosen up and live life, man. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do it with this hot babe. And then, and then she wants to just lay eggs in his throat. Um, <laughs> and then she gets sprayed with a hose, which yeah. I think the hose, hose was like the, yeah. It's like if you've ever had like an animal in your yard that you don't want there and you just like kind of spray the hose at it. You're like, you got to leave. Get out of here. That's what I love about Mariner. Like she she is so experienced and so knowledgeable about everything in the galaxy that she just cuts straight through the easiest practical thing that's going to resolve the situation. So she's she's like, I don't have to use my Starfleet training, my combat training on this succubus or whatever it is. There's a hose. That'll get the job done. And then just like all of the other, because you could tell that um, that alien was trying to blend in with like the other species that were hanging out in that neighborhood, you know, because they're all like sort of scantily clad, beautiful, you know, people all there to get their jamaron on <laughs> or however yes. you pronounced it. The jamaron. So, so what do you yeah. all think the, uh, the jamaron is? specifically as specifically as possible answer the question <laughs> so it was listed and i read to me 
as <laughs> Clyde's going to just turn his camera off. <laughs> it was Red Clyde, are you reenacting being... Jamaharone on your own? <laughs> I am not. I am not. That's a Grant thing. It is a it is a sexual encounter, but it's supposed to have like elements of uh, like spiritual, emotional connection. That it's a rise big, of thing. Yeah, a rise of thing. The big statue in the middle is like a fertility symbol from Risa. You know, they're all just there. It's like the harem um, section of the planet. You know. And I love that that's another DS9 reference on this show because uh, the Jamaharon was a. Uh, uniquely referenced in DS9 when uh, Worf and Jadzia Dax and Quark go to Ryza. And Worf and Jadzia Dax go to, uh, I, think, I think they're celebrating their honeymoon or just like a getaway. Uh, and Quark just goes to fuck randos and it's great. Speaking of Quark, there was a Ferengi in this episode, Mariner's wait, little buddy. Wait, Mike, I mean, I think you may have found the episode that you can get give to Grant that he might actually watch DS9, so. I don't know if the idea of, like, Quark doing the Jamaharone is going to do it for Grant. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) I did read, though, apparently, I haven't been to enough cons. Apparently, if you wear, like, the badge of that, like, fertility, like, vase (laughs) symbol thing at cons, it means you're, like, DTF at the con. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. You know, don't make it hard on us hardcore nerds, okay? <laughs> Just don't. Why is this hard? This was written in the canon long ago. I'm just I'm just saying, it's like it's one thing to look, I like the novels, I get into track, but uh Who's making not... what hard? <laughs> Moving on. There was a Ferengi in this episode, Mariner's little buddy. Boimler was super racist to that Ferengi. Like, and and Mariner knows better because later on she's talking to him and he's like, yeah, I played, you know, I played the stereotypical Ferengi. I think that not only was that funny, but it highlighted like her practical experience over his stupid, stupid stodgy old book learning because he, you know, w- with his studying you're really just getting uh, someone else's point of view and the broad spectrum of, of things like, and, and it can boil people down or whole um, species down to stereotypes like the Star Trek often does with the Ferengi. But if you've seen the better Star Trek episodes, you know, DS9. Uh, There's nice Ferengi in Voyager. Are there? Yeah. Okay. There's trustworthy but, Ferengi. But in every episode, there's deep, interesting Ferengi in DS9. So we know, as Star Trek fans, that Ferengi are a, are a much richer culture and a much more progressive culture than, than they seem on the surface. And I thought that was a great nod to that. And also just just uh, a nod to the idea that Boimler doesn't know what the hell he's doing when he's interacting with these other other species. I think we've broken Clyde. No, I'm not broken. Um, just, just contemplating. I mean, it it is interesting, and um, I'm gonna miss it. But I think it was, and I'm gonna mess this up. It's like W. I want to call him WYSIWYG. It is WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG mentioned that Star Trek often, the Star Trek that we know often forces us to think mm-hmm. um, and challenges our thoughts. So I'm looking at this, in particular that interaction. And just wondering, is is this causing or prompting us 
to really think about the stereotypes that we we hold, right? Could this be the moment um, in a show like Lower Decks that is short, so it's not a whole lot of time to build, and we're laughing a lot, but is this a moment that challenges our thought? And, and you know, I think you're right. I think the way he he's looking at the Ferengi and, and talking about their beady eyes, and, you know, he was doing the whole hand thing. Like, that was pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, for someone who wants to be in command. And so it just it kind of, it was just interesting to me and wondering if we kind of thinking about what it might mean deeper for the rest of the show. Yeah, and Sardonyx is, in the chat art, is articulating what I was trying to say earlier. Um, Boimler has the bias textbook viewpoint. And we all know textbooks are very problematic. Yeah, yeah. He, he has the bias, the, the bias Texas textbook <laughs> viewpoint because our textbooks are trash. And um, and yeah, it's just a picture of someone who doesn't have the experience of meeting his neighbors or people outside of his own neighborhood. And I think we're seeing the problems of that come to a head in our community uh, right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't live in a... In the Star Trek timeline. And I think me, you know, I think that might have been the reason we didn't get that redemption moment for Boimler is maybe this is like you were saying, Clyde, we only have 25 minutes to try to punch in a bunch of jokes, give us some plot, and then maybe give us a, a morality lesson at the end of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think throughout the whole thing, we saw the way you know, it could just be the idea that it is important to experience cultures outside of your own in order to be a better person, which right. is what we see with Mariner. Um, you know, even when they're getting the worm noodles, you know, like Boimler acts like everything is disgusting and he doesn't like it there. And he, you know, uh, there's like a comment about the smell of the neighborhood. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we get to um, all of these other small iterations where he thinks he knows best because he's read how to interact with people rather than just interacting with people. And so Mariner fully drinks all the blood wine. She does like all of the things in order to fully experience these cultural moments. And even her commenting like, Oh, me and, and Corinne are blood, um, you know, blood bonded. It would be weird for me to be so formal with him. And it's like all of these smaller nuanced moments. And I love that she went to go um, blood pee out the blood wine. Yes. Because <laughs> that you know, sounds appropriate. It, it, it's so interesting to me because when I think back on that scene and I think back to how Star Trek treats Klingons pretty much in almost every show, right? You have a couple that if they're in Starfleet, right? So if they look like you and dress like you and they wear your uniform, then they're okay. But if they're traditional Klingon, then when they walk onto a Star Trek ship, there's there's almost like this this holding of the breath and this uneasiness and I'm not sure and are are we safe? Right? Which is interesting now that you start to think about it. But what we get in this episode is You've got Boimler, who is very formal and is approaching them, approaching this Klingon, you know, Corinne, with this formality that we've seen in every other track. But Mariner is just like, 
like sees him and jumps on him and they're like it is not only is it informal it's familial right and i'm hard pressed to think have i ever seen a human embrace a klingon like that in any other track i can tell you that i have and can you guess which show it was on Drumroll, please. <laughs> it's a little show called Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and the character was Jadzia Dax. And yes. uh, Mariner does have a lot of the uh, qualities that Jadzia Dax had. Jadzia Dax obviously be- was a trill who benefited from um, experiencing several lives worth of experience. So she had what Mariner has. She treated people like people. She had the street smarts or the space smarts. And was was very open and accepting and did exactly what Boimler does not do here. Treat people like people. He treats them like objects, right? And he treats them like, like you said, Clyde, there is no, there is no familiarity there. There is no, um, there's no warmth. And it's, it's comes off as cold and it comes off as that. Uh, that kind of dark side of Starfleet that we often mention on this show that that uh, just really cold, one-sided, um, uh, uncomplicated version of Starfleet that doesn't involve a lot of diversity. That some of the uh, some of the um, aliens who are not part of the Federation often complain about on Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think any version of the Federation can be sort of uh, compared to, you know, sort of like what the United Nations tries to be in some sense. And like you see, it's it can be problematic on all sorts of fronts from the fact that there's only like three official languages that are spoken within the United Nations. And otherwise, you have to have translators. We don't have universal translators yet. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, who gets to be on what councils and all of that sort of stuff. And so I think it's like an interesting parallel that we can also see um, that happens in, in Trek. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, what are you guys most looking forward to um, this coming season? I obviously more Mariner, um, less Boimler or maybe a different Boimler, but I, I think we haven't seen, um, it's only episode two, but we haven't seen a lot of Tendi, so I'm looking forward to a great Tendi story because Tendi was a character who just a great looking character, a funny character, and I I find her enthusiasm uh, just I I just wa- I, I love watching an enthusiastic character like that, and I want to she was pitched as a character who is the Star Trek fan. In the Star Trek show. So I want to see how the show kind of subverts our expectations of that and where that goes. And what are you guys looking forward to in the next com- in the next few weeks on this show? I think for me, it's character development. Um, right now, I'm really happy with where they've, they're taking Mariner. Um, I'm also really interested in see what happens with Rutherford and what happens with Tindy. And what happens with Rutherford and Tindy, um, if they, this, they've kind of got a will-they-won't-they they vibe going, um, I just don't want that to be the only thing that we see 
from them. And, you know, we talk often or we have talked often about the fact that we're dealing with um, kind of the team that brought us or parts of the team that brought us Rick and Morty. And what I remember about Rick and Morty is early on, it was really Rick and Morty, right? And we didn't get a whole lot of the other characters. And then we started getting a lot of the other characters. I want more of that faster. Like, I really do want to see, you know, a. I want to see what the arc for Rutherford looks like, what the arc for Tendi looks like, what the arc for Boimler looks like. And maybe even a little bit about some more interactions with some of the the command crew. Because I think it's interesting when you see the ensigns interact with the command crew um, and that dynamic, right? Almost like a mentor-mentee relationship, positive and negative. But I- I'm interested in seeing that. So, Yeah. Um, Nate Bliss in our chat again uh, is kind of echoing what you're saying. He wants to see the show mix it up a little bit. He says, I'm interested in seeing things get a little shook up as far as the pairings are concerned, so far we've basically seen Mariner, Boimler, and Tendi Rutherford bits. And yeah, and it's only two episodes, but I am itching to see Mariner hang out a little more with Tendi, like we saw in the, in the cold open here. And uh, Mariner hang out with Rutherford, and maybe Boimler stays uh, in his bed. I was going to say in his room, but there's they don't have rooms. Yeah, uh, I agree with with y'all. I'm looking forward to seeing how this cast or gets to come together. I hope we get to see some more adventures, maybe with all four of them um, participating, just because I think that's always fun for away missions when you get all of your main characters down doing the same thing. And then, you know, maybe then the B plot is like the the bridge crew for an episode. That could be really fun. Um and I'm just excited to continue seeing they've had like a great slot of guest voices. Like I know Paul Shear mm-hmm. was a guest voice on this one. I think he's going to be on almost every episode as well, but he's recurring. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've been having fun seeing who's popping up and uh, how all these characters are progressing. I think again, it's hard to really speculate on what we're really going to see because we are only two episodes in. It's a completely new format as far as like an animated shorter version of this show but um i have a feeling the jokes are going to continue to get more layered um and will continue to be really fun i have heard from some journalists who've gotten like four episodes available to them you know rather than us having to go one by one saying that the pace slows down a little bit which i do think will be helpful in helping to get us more character development and less just like fast paced comedy. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to some of those maybe slower paced episodes. I did, I did feel the, the pace settle a little more in this episode compared to the pilot for sure. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Okay guys. Um, anything else you want to say about this episode? I know we probably only covered the surface of it. I'm definitely going to watch it again. Maybe we'll chat a little more about it on a Patreon episode coming up. Uh, and I know the chat has been going off about different different pieces of the episode. But thank you so much for joining us um, on the pod this week. Do you guys have anything else to say about the episode before we... Yeah, shoes. Did you did you check out the Starfleet shoes? No. Did they have, like, mm-hmm. sneakers, like, on Discovery? So if you see, I think, um, in one of the scenes, the early scenes, where Mariner has her feet up, the bottom of her shoes have like a Starfleet logo on them. Oh, that's cool. So I was like, wow, we've never really seen, thought about what's on their 
feet or what shoes look like. But yeah, they're kind of like a Starfleet branded UGG almost. Nice. Okay, I want those shoes. I want the purple lace tricorder. Mm-hmm. And I want that uniform. I love the that. The dress one? Do you like the long? Yeah. The, I, well, no, not, not the, not the not dress the uniform. Not the tunic dress. <laughs> not the tunic dress, but I, I like that it's a tunic that it, it's a mix of the TNG uniform and the um, the TOS crew movie uniform where they can just kind of open up the tunic. I love that. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube, uh, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook every Thursday, Talking Trek, and of course, covering Lower Decks every single week. Go to StarTrekPod.co to subscribe. Also, if you have not heard enough from all of us yet this week, make sure you go and check out our Patreon. Uh, There is a back catalog of Mike and I talking about uh, our Badass Women of Trek series. There's a best of seven of nine. We've been delving into the Kelvin universe of movies. So you can hear us talk about the best Chris, Chris Pine. Um, And and, uh, also hang out in our Slack for just $2 an episode. So make sure you check us out on Patreon. Yes, and I just want to remind you one more time, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us at Star Trek Pod. Um, tweet out about the episode. Tell people that you love us. Share the love. Um, and also, as always, I want to shout out two people who help us. We couldn't do it without you. Karen, who runs our Twitter, and James Worm, the man behind our Insta. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Clyde, where can we follow you online? At Clyde Haynes on Twitter. And then you can hit me on the web, www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. What about Mariah? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all social platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Follow me on Twitter at Mike M. Garcia. Come back to watch the live pod next Thursday at 9 p.m. Central. Live long and prosper. Bye. Warp time. <laughs>